the reading is following on in John 8, verse 31 to 58. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God, Here's what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my father, and you dishonour me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father, Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my days. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. And this is God's word. It's good to be together this morning and lovely to see you all at the start of our festive season. 
Get your Bibles back open, uh, because we're going to look at these these words of Jesus here this morning, this conversation between him and some of the Jewish people of his day. Before we get to that, I wonder if you know this old hymn. I want to break free. I want to break free. I want to break free from your lies. You're so self-satisfied. I don't need you. I've got to break free. God knows, God knows, I want to break free. Sound familiar? Not one we often sing in church. It's Queen's 1984 hit, I Want to Break Free. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the words Jesus said where he promised freedom. And what did he mean that the truth will set you free? And for each and every one of us, have we experienced the freedom that he offers to us. So let's remind ourselves what's going on in this part of John's gospel. Last week, Andrew opened up the beginning of this conversation, which follows on from the Festival of Tabernacles, and Jess has quoted the verse already. 8.12 says, Jesus spoke again to the people and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It is an amazing, bold statement. And people don't just take it at face value. It leads to a conversation. It'll be too small for you to read, but I've actually put the conversation up color-coded, so you can't see that at all. Uh, But you can kind of see in blue are the words that the Jewish people speak, and red are the words that Jesus speaks. It's a conversation. In fact, it's more of an interrogation. The first thing the Pharisees, the religious leaders say is, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. So it's, it's a kind of hostile interrogation of Jesus. They're trying to find out who this guy really is. So don't be thinking this is just kind of like a friendly chat. If you like things like, I don't know, Line of Duty or Um, Happy Valley or CSI back in the day. This is more like when they've got a suspect and they're trying to kind of catch them. They're trying to find out what is going on. You see, Jesus looked ordinary. I mean, in our paintings, when we see Jesus, he looks anything but, doesn't he? He's got a halo, he glows in the dark. It would have been obvious there's something special about Jesus if the art was right. But the art isn't. He looked completely ordinary. And for most of his life, he'd worked on a building site. And yet here he is making the most extraordinary claims about himself. He says, I'm the light of the whole world. In verse 19, he claims to have a special, unique relationship with God as his father. And then in verse, I can't remember which one is, where is it, 23? He says, uh, 20, yeah, 23, he says, you're from below, I am from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. And people don't just go, oh, that's fine, that must be so. People struggle to look at this guy and say, these things are actually true. And yet, by the end of the passage that we looked at last week, did you notice verse 30? Even as he spoke, many believed in him. It seems as if Jesus is getting traction. The people are actually thinking, well, maybe he is. Maybe he is the light of the world. Maybe he does have a special relationship with God as his father. Maybe he is from heaven and able to do remarkable things for us. And Jesus then, in the part we're looking at today, speaks particularly to those who would say, yeah, I'm with you so far. 
Verse 31 says, To the Jews who have believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And yet, by the time we get to the end of this passage, look with me at verse 59. At this, these people who just a few moments before would have said they believed, picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. At some point in this conversation, these people who would have said, yeah, we're following this guy, we believe you're saying things that we need to hear, have totally turned, and they're now looking for rocks to stone him to death for blasphemy. That Jesus, a mere man, was claiming to be God. And the punishment for that in the Old Testament, death by stoning. So we need to go with this conversation today, but don't expect this to be a comfortable ride. This isn't going to be straightforward here this morning, or necessarily very comforting for you. This is a heart-based examination of people who said, we're following you, Jesus. People, if you'd asked them first thing that morning, are you following him? Oh, yeah, yeah, he's got some really interesting things to say. But by the time you met them later on, no, no, that guy is a blasphemer. We want nothing to do with him. He's dangerous. This world would be a better place if he were dead. They want to extinguish the light of the world. And I wonder in your heart here this morning, what will be going on? Will you be experiencing the freedom that Jesus offers you? Or will you be siding with these people who wish that Jesus had never come, that he didn't exist, because what he said was so hard for them to take, they wished he were dead. Now, to help us through this complex and fairly lengthy passage, we're going to ask three simple questions, all beginning with the word whose. Who's your master? Who's your daddy? And who's Jesus to you? Okay, so if you get lost at any point, try and recall those three questions, and they will help you to get through what Jesus is saying here. So the first one, who's your master? To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. And then this astonishing claim. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It is an absolutely astonishing claim. What is the truth Jesus is talking about here? Well, later in John, he says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus is saying here, I am the one who is able to set you free. If you believe that I really came from heaven to earth, if you really believe that I have a special relationship with God as my Father, if you really believe I can be light in your darkness, then you will know the truth about me, and that truth will free you to be the person God created you to be. It's massive. And they don't believe him. So Jesus is then pushed back at him, verse 33, they answered him, we're Abraham's descendants, we've never been slaves of anyone, how can you say that we shall be set free? They immediately push back at Jesus. They don't hear the offer, they want to push back and say, who are you to say these things to us? They were proud of their Jewish heritage. They believed that spiritually they'd never been slaves to anyone. They were the most blessed people on earth because of their relationship with God through Abraham. 
And maybe in this room, there's that same sort of pride. Rule Britannia. Britannia rules the waves. Britain never, never, never shall be slaves. It's a national pride that we have, like they did. But it's personal. I don't know how many of you have um, heard of the Invictus Games. Probably a number of you have. Prince Harry set them up. I think it's one of the best things he's done. And it's for service people who are injured or fell sick while they were in the forces or ended up with disabilities to compete in those games. Absolutely a remarkable event. But I wonder if you know where the name Invictus comes from. It's from a poem. Let me quote two verses from that poem, the first and the last, because I think it shows how much we don't like what Jesus is saying here about being slaves either. Here's the poem Invictus, the first verse says, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I think for many people, that's where we like to think we are. We're calling the shots. We're setting the path. We're self-made people. We set goals and we achieve them. No one is running the show except us. And yet Jesus says it simply isn't true. You've got to watch out in John's gospel where he says, very truly I tell you. It's not that he's not telling the truth the rest of the time. Jesus always tells the truth. It's not that his words that um, don't have that before them aren't important. But when he says, very truly I tell you, in John's gospel, get this. What he's saying is, don't miss this. If you miss other things that I say, don't miss this. So what is it that Jesus doesn't want you and me to miss? Very truly, I tell you, don't miss this. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone, without exception. And we all sin. Every single one of us falls short of our own standards, let alone God's. Every one of us fails to love other people as much as we love ourselves. Every one of us fails to love God and instead lives in his world as if he isn't there and doesn't care. That's how we live by nature. And Jesus says everyone who sins is enslaved by that sin. It's a law as as certain as gravity. Let's imagine, I guess many of us have, and I'd still do in my dreams. I guess we all fly in our dreams, right, at times? We probably all had that, if not as children, maybe even as adults. We still imagine what it would be like to fly, don't we? But, you know, I might want to fly here this morning, okay? Let me tell you, I'd love it. If I could reach out now and fly around this room, let's, let's, should I try? Let's go. You ready? Here we go. I'm going to take off. So brace yourselves. Oh! Now that is my best shot. I got nothing more than that. You know, I, I got off the ground, right? I was, I was at least that far, I reckon. I'm not good at jumping either, let alone flying. But then, without wanting to, did you see what happened? It was amazing. I actually, I, I came back down again with a bump. 
And why is that? Because there's a law called gravity. And the laws of gravity are very, very strict. And you can't bend them for your own benefit. And the law of sin is even more powerful. The law of sin pulls my heart into evil, into things that I know are wrong, and yet I want to do them. I know that they hurt those that I love. I know that they damage me, and yet I still do them. I'm drawn into them, and I'm drawn into the darkness, and I'm drawn away from the God who knows and loves me into the darkness by the law of sin. And it is strong, and for someone outside of Christ, it is unbreakable. They're born in sin, they live in sin, and they die in sin. That is why sin is such a terrible master. When Jesus was talking last week, verse 24 says, I told you, you would die in your sins if you do not believe I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That gravitational pull away from God is not just for this life, it is for all eternity. Hell is a place for those who will live in their sin forever. Forever. What Jesus says here is incredibly serious. So often we try to escape from our sins, but it's just like flapping our arms and trying to fly. We simply can't do it. We, we try our hardest, but we get nowhere because we're not cut out to escape that way. Left like that, we will get nowhere. I don't know how many of you make New Year's resolutions. Many people do, but most people break them within a day or two of making them. And even if they don't, there's no one more annoying than someone who's kept their New Year's resolution because they're always so proud, which is actually another sin. And also, if you're trying to solve, I mean, I could give you bits of paper and you could write down everything you know is wrong with me. And for Susan, she need a book. So how many resolutions would we need to put ourselves right? And what hope would there ever be of us keeping them? Left to our own devices, we would be utterly doomed but Jesus makes another huge claim here. Did you notice it? When he says that everyone who sins is a slave to sin, in verse 36 he says, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. If the Son. You see, why did Jesus come from heaven to earth? Why did he make this journey away from his Father who loved him? Why did he come into a world of darkness? It is so he can set people like you and me free from sin forever. He alone has that power. He alone is able to become a new master to us who can break that link between the sin that would suck us in and hold us fast and actually enable us to break free. He does it in two ways. Firstly, the wages of sin is death. And as Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for your sin and mine. He died the death that we deserve. But there's more. And some of you here this morning who believe that need to believe this second thing too. He came to break the power of sin. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. We sing it sometimes. How does he do that? 
Because if you're anything like me, sometimes you feel like you're getting worse as a Christian. That actually sin feels like it's still dragging you down and dragging you in and away from God and into evil. What am I doing wrong? I do believe Jesus died on the cross for me, and yet, so often when it comes to sin, in my life ongoing, my strategy is this. You know, I just try and fire myself back. I forget that Jesus has actually given me power, and I try and do it all in my own strength, which is as nuts as still me trying to fly to the moon under my own steam. What do I need? I need to ask Jesus to help me in the areas where I struggle with sin. I need to say, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My heart was also new, and I rose, went forth, and followed you. Both are true. Both are good. I need to remember that in that moment. Four things. When I'm dragged into sin, when I want to get angry, when I feel lust, when I feel greedy, when I feel irritable, I could keep going for a long time, but let's say those four. When I feel those things and I'm being sucked back into the darkness, I need to remember four things. One, I can't do this on my own. If I stand there and just flap my arms as hard as I can, I'm going to get into that mess quickly. And I need to say sorry to God because not only is it there and I'm I'm basically at my best flapping hard to get away and my worst, I'm doing this. I'm diving back in. Do you do that? We love it, don't we? There's a part of us that's drawn to the darkness and I need to say sorry to God. That isn't the place where I belong. This isn't the place where I live. This isn't what Christ came for me for. And then I need to cry out for his help. Help me. Help me. Because unless you help me, Lord, I'm going to fall into that ditch again. I'm going to be back in the darkness. Help me. And then instead of trying to flap my arms and escape, Jesus is more like a rocket that breaks the gravitational pull of sin. I need to hold on to the rocket and let him blast me away from that thing that would drag me down. That's how Jesus sets us free. He did it on the cross. He broke the penalty of sin completely. He paid the price, but he breaks the power of cancelled sin. He does. And if you're here this morning, you just feel utterly stuck and ruined. Find someone you trust. Pray with them. I can't break free. I don't even want to break free. But I need you to help me break free. Lord Jesus, help me. Help me to do this thing, just to hold on tight to you and to get away from that thing that I might be changed. And you know, the difference then is it doesn't lead to pride because you know you didn't do it for yourself. It just leads to a deep thankfulness to Jesus who loved you so much he didn't give up on you for all those times you failed any more than he's given up on me. Who is your master? Who's your master? But Jesus also asks a second question here. And it's this, who's your daddy? You see, the Jewish people he's speaking to are very confident who their dad is. If you look at verse 39, and they say it many times, Abraham is our father. 
Now, you may be Abraham scholars, or you may never have heard of Abraham. So here's the one-minute Abraham tour. Uh, he's in Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. He's in chapters 12 to 25. Read his story. It's great. He was an ordinary dude living his ordinary life when suddenly God appeared and spoke to him and said these amazing words from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. He said, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It is an absolutely incredible set of promises. Sarah is also credited his wife with having amazing faith, because elsewhere the Bible says they set off not knowing where they were going. Can you imagine that conversation? Lord said to Abraham, you've got to go that way. Mrs. Abraham, Sarah says, how far? I don't know. How long are we going? I don't know. Where are we stopping? I don't know. You know, it's a big ask. It's a very big ask. But they had faith. They had a determined trust to do what God had told them to do, so they set off without knowing where they're going, how long for, where they're going to stop. And that's the man who God said the whole world is going to be blessed through, and they said, that's our dad. That's our daddy. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. That's where they think they stand. Abraham's our dad. He was God's chosen one. In him, we're chosen people. We can be confident that when our time comes, God's going to be happy with us. You see that same attitude with all religious people. It doesn't matter their religion. All religious people think their religion will put them right with God. And if they're sincere, well, then they must be okay. All religious people think they're good. They're moral. They're upright. They were baptized when they were 16, so even though they've never done anything about it since, they must be all right. They were baptized when they were babies, and even though they've never done anything about it, they must be all right. They go to mosque, they go to synagogue, they go to temple. If there is a God, surely that must be enough. And Jesus addresses his own people. Bear in mind, Jesus is Jewish. Anyone who thinks Jesus is an anti-Semite needs to give their head a wobble. You know, he's, that's his people, his background. He's not being anti-Semitic here. He's telling us it as it is for all people who trust in religion. Jesus says you don't really get this at all. In verse uh, 39, after they say Abraham is our father, he says, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. Abraham was a man of great faith. He and his wife followed where God led. He heard God speak and he obeyed his voice, not perfectly, but even when it was hard, he pressed through. He believed God and took him at his word, and he's the father of all those who have faith. And Jesus says, you hear me speak? You're hearing the very voice of God? Yeah, I'm saying big things, but no bigger than was said to Abraham back in the day that all peoples on earth would be blessed through him when he was one guy. But you don't hear the voice of God. You don't respond with faith. 
And then he hits them with the reason why. And it's hard to hear. He says in verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil. You belong to your father, and it's not Abraham. It's Satan himself. That is deeply shocking. But you know, the Bible says that when we're born, we're born under the wrath of God. And we're not free. We're slaves to sin, and we obey Satan. Even if we don't believe he exists, it makes no difference. He hides in the shadows. He hides in the darkness. He would rather you didn't believe he exists if it keeps you enslaved. But Jesus came, you see, to give us something much better. Let's go back again to those amazing words where Jesus was talking about truth. Verse 34, he says, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Look at verse 35. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, I came not just to break you free from sin's power, not just to be a new master to you, but to bring you into a new family and to do that on a permanent basis. Jesus came into this world so that his father would be our father. So his father in heaven would be the one that we cry out to and know there's an unbreakable bond of love between us and him. That's why he came. So if someone can say, who are you? You could say, I'm someone who has a father in heaven who I know loves me. Last thing here then. Who is Jesus to you? As you can imagine, the people Jesus is speaking to who are religious, who all their lives have thought they're right with God, are really angry, and they're going to get more angry. So they decide to insult Jesus in verse 48. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Samaritan. There was a massive amount of racial hatred. We tend to think good Samaritan because of Jesus' parable. They thought there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. The only good Samaritan was a dead Samaritan. Now, if you watched or listened or read the Harry Potter series, then this will mean something to you. They regarded the Samaritans as half-bloods. Now, in Harry Potter, that means you have one wizarding parent and one muggle. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry. But for the Jews... It meant these Samaritans were a mix of kind of Jewish blood and the blood from other nations. So to call Jesus a Samaritan was a slur. And to say he was demon-possessed was to say that his power was evil. He was ultimately an evil person. Jesus pushes back at that and then pushes on. Look at what he then says about him. So he says, you're wrong about both of those things. But he's got another very truly statement for us here. Don't miss this, Jesus says in verse 51. Whoever obeys my word will never see death. It's an incredible claim. It's a claim that if we trust Jesus, not only is the wage of sin broken, 
Not only can we have a new father and a new relationship with God now, it is never ending. When our time comes to die, we will actually not face death in that way. We will go through to the other side and see a father who loves us, a savior who died for us. We'll never see death in the way that other people will. And again, they can't accept that at all. They say, look, how can you say those things? Everyone dies, even the greatest prophets died. Even Abraham, our father, died. And then they say, who then do you think you are? Better translation, maybe, who are you pretending to be? Who are you pretending to be? And Jesus replied to them, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father whom you claim is your father, is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his words. Then he throws this in. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they think he's lost his mind. Abraham was around 2,000 years before, so they say, you're not even 50. And you've seen Abraham? And then Jesus pushes back one last time and says, don't miss this. Before Abraham was born, I am. It would have been outrageous enough if Jesus said, before Abraham was born 2,000 years ago, I was. That would have been outrageous. That would have been, I was eternal. To say, before Abraham was born, I am. It's to take the very name of God and to say, you're looking and hearing and seeing God in human form before your eyes. Don't let anyone lie to you and say, Jesus didn't know who he was. He never claimed to be God. That is rubbish. By saying, I am, he's saying, I am God. And they recognize that because that's why they picked up the rocks to stone him. So who is Jesus to you here this morning? Because I'm guessing this all sounds a bit extreme, doesn't it? I'm guessing if you don't believe these things, you're sitting here today, well, I don't really love Jesus, and I'm not really living for him, but I don't hate him. I don't want to pick up rocks and kill anybody. Surely there's some kind of middle path here. We can, we can agree to disagree. We can find a way through this where, you know, I'm happy if other people follow Jesus, or I'm happy to give up an hour on a Sunday morning providing the rest of the week's mine. You know, I, I, I want this middle road. Hate over there, love over there, and where I am, somewhere here. But you know, Jesus didn't leave that road open to us. You know why? He's the king. He's the light of the whole world. And he gets to judge. What's the alternative? He's told us, hasn't he, in the most wonderful way. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Why, why was Abraham such a big deal? Well, because in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You see, when we understand who Jesus really is, when we understand the freedom he came to bring, it actually gives us a joy, a joy that transcends our circumstance, a joy of knowing the truth and having the truth set us free from the penalty of sin, a joy of actually going with Jesus through the darkness of this world and knowing that he's dealing with the darkness in our hearts to set us free and make us more like him. 
There's joy in that. There's a joy to become the person that God created you to be and saved you to be. There's joy down that road. There's joy in the thought that when our time comes, we won't perish, but we will have everlasting life in paradise with Jesus. How does that begin for us all? begins where we started this morning with that old hymn. We've got to want to break free. Here are the lyrics with one extra word. I want to break free. I want to break free. I want to break free from your lies, Satan. You're so self-satisfied. I don't need you. I've got to break free. God knows. God knows. I want to break free. If there isn't a desperation in your heart to break free, you will never come to Christ. While you're self-satisfied and living for yourself in the darkness, you will stay there until a moment in your life comes you say, I cannot live like this anymore. I was created for something better and different and more wonderful than this, and I can't escape this on my own. God knows, you know, Lord, that I want to break free. But you've got to be able to sing the second verse of that song too. I've fallen in love. I've fallen in love for the first time. This time I know it's for real. I've fallen in love. Yeah, God knows. God knows I've fallen in love. You see, at the end of the day, until we love Jesus more than we love sin, we will keep going back into the darkness. It will pull us back in as surely as gravity brought me back down to earth. It's love for Jesus that frees us. It's what he said, didn't he? When he was talking to these people and they didn't believe he was who he said he was. Look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. God were your father, you would love me. I wonder here this morning, is there love for Jesus in your heart? Have you experienced the freedom Jesus offers? You can know the truth. And for millions and millions and millions of people, including many in this room, the truth has set them free. Let me pray. Father God, these are incredibly weighty words of Jesus. In some ways, they are some of the harshest and hardest things that he ever said. And yet every word Jesus said was out of love, love for you, but also love, Lord, for those who are facing the darkness and death and caught in sin's tyranny. Father, I thank you that the Bible story goes on and many of these Pharisees came to believe in Jesus. We see a little taste of it in this book, but in the book of Acts, we see more. And Father, I thank you that you're a God who rescues, a God who saves, a God who loves, a God who sent Jesus into this world to rescue people like us. 
Lord, I pray for any here who don't know you. May they not be lost in the darkness. May they not be relying on religion to save them, to hell with religion. May they instead turn to Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man, who came from heaven to earth to set us free. May we know that freedom. May we walk in that freedom. May we learn to hate sin and love righteousness, to turn from darkness and embrace the light, that the joy that Jesus had and the love that Jesus had and the wonder and hope that Jesus had might be our experience now and for all eternity. Amen.